Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Black is the night, metal we fight, power amp set to explode. Energy screams, magic and dreams, Satan records the first note. We chime the bell, chaos and hell, metal for maniacs pure. Faster than steel, fortune on wheels, brain hemorrhage is the cure. Black metal. Lay down your soul to the gods rock and roll, etc., etc. This is Agitators Anonymous, and this is going to be a podcast all about Venom. Yes, the progenitors, the prime movers, the first in line. The band without whom everything would be different. The face that launched a thousand ships, so to speak. I know that the last few podcasts have been, let's be honest, pretty serious. So maybe it was a a well overdue that um, this Friday would just be something about heavy metal. And why not devote a podcast to the band without whom everything would be very different? And there is no way to get around that uncomfortable truth. If you're one of those people who think Venom aren't black metal because they don't sound like, I don't know, Dark Throne in 1992. Well... You should probably probably ask Fenris about that. Of course, Venom are black metal. Um, they have an album called Black Metal. Anyway, this is one of those when I were a lad, when I was a young man type podcasts mixed in with. Um, I'm just going to go through their discography, talk about them a bit and talk about um, the influence that they had on everything. Um, and that is basically everything. There's a moment you can probably find it if you root around on the interwebs um, and you'll see pictures of Slayer in 1981, late 81, um, wearing like sort of matching kind of spandex outfits. Um, I suppose looking a little bit like a cheap Quiet Riot knockoff, um, just very typical LA sort of metal. And then somewhere along the line, you can tell someone has brought a copy of Welcome to Hell or Black Metal um, down into the rehearsal room and gone, fucking hell, you need to listen to this. And within, it's like an overnight change all of a sudden. It's out with the red and white spandex and um, polka dots or whatever it is. Polka dots, polka dots. Come on, no, not polka dots. Lined kind of, you know, I don't know, what would you call it? A prison type stripy shirts and in with black leather and studs and nails and bullets and all that kind of stuff and before you know it slayer are um you know got blood coming from their mouths um grinning holding inverted crosses um you know gurning over semi-naked women on uh satanic altars etc etc all because of what because of venom because of venom well so let's get into this Friday's podcast. Um, Like I said, the last few podcasts have been pretty serious. We've had the war in Ukraine. We've had uh, what's happening in Iran. Um, And, you know, I'm very thankful of the positive responses all of those have received from people. Um, And I think it's testament to the rambling all over the place nature of Agitators Anonymous that one week it can be about, um, you know, upholding women's rights, protesting in Iran. And the next week can be about new wave of British heavy metal legends, Venom. 
that's what this podcast is all about. Um, just, I suppose, a random chaotic journey through my grey matter and whatever seems to be an interesting topic for this week. So, first things first, if you want to support the show, go to patreon.com slash Alan Averill. Uh, the tears thing, I haven't really figured it out. I've said it before. One euro, one, um, you know, um, one dollar, one whatever, who knows. One of your Earth Euros, I don't know. Go over there and support the show if you really want to. Um, you can follow me on Dianga underscore primordial or primordial underscore official for all the news about the band. Please remember that the expinion, the the expinions, the opinions expressed by the human boy known as Alan Averill um, bear no resemblance to the fictional character of Nemthianga or reflect on the broader beliefs and ideals of the band at large called Primordial. The podcast is just me and my waffle, etc., etc. Um, the podcast is sponsored by MetalBlade.com in North America, which includes that Canada, where Primordial is actually playing um, in November, Messe de Mort, for the first time in over 10 years. We're playing a club show in Canada since Pagan Fest, I think, in, I don't know when that was, 2010, seems like a, another lifetime ago. Um, I'm sure I was a whole different set of atoms back then. Who knows how I'll feel about that. But yes, Messe de Mort with Carpathian Forest. Um, and yes, we are coming. The flights are fixed, all that kind of thing. I've been getting messages from people going, are you really coming? As if, you know, it was one of those come to Brazil comments that you get under every um, post about a gig. Hey, 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 it's only Canada, right? Still part of the Commonwealth and all that kind of thing. Oh, yeah, but we aren't, are we? Indeed. Right. Yes, indeed, we are coming. What am I talking about? I'm talking about Venom. So, in the old, um, you know, let's do the, let's start this with um, old man shouts at clouds type story. Um, in the old Virgin Megastore in Dublin in the 1980s, um, um, let's put it this way. Virgin Records used to be a subsidiary of, um, I suppose, Richard Branson's Virgin, well, I suppose it's Virgin many, many things, airlines, etc. Um, I... I seem to remember they released the first suicidal tendencies amongst loads of other strange records in the early 80s. But an interesting aside before I start about Venom is that Virgin Megastore and Richard Branson was the, if I'm not incorrect, because I seem to remember being there on that day, but the Virgin Megastore was the first um, shop in the South, in the Republic of Ireland, to openly defy the state by selling contraceptives, condoms, over the counter. And this was maybe 1988 or 1989. Richard Branson thought it was outrageous, which it clearly was, that um, people couldn't buy condoms in Ireland. You couldn't buy condoms in Ireland in 1983-84. They were mail order, or you had to cross the border to Northern Ireland. We had these famous things called the contraceptive trains, which my, uh, my mother and my aunt were on, and apparently took me on some as a, a baby, I guess. Um, and there's incredible pictures of the women coming back uh, with contraceptives to be met by armed police on the stations, at the train station, um, phalanxed by like, um, phalanxed, is that the right word? Where have I gotten that from? Uh, maybe I used to be a Roman soldier in a past life. Um, with truncheons waiting for women coming off the train. Absolutely incredible stuff. Our, um, one of our best, um, not prime minister, but... But ceremonial heads, heads of state was a woman called Mary Robinson who sort of helped haul Ireland out of the, um, the primeval dark past. But her appointment um, sort of helped, let's say, uh, modernise Ireland most definitely. 
Anyway, she and many other women were part of these contraceptive trains and they would go to Northern Ireland to buy condoms until this nonsense was overturned in Brussels. Um, but yeah, uh, what am I rambling about? Um, don't worry, I'm going to get into Venom. I'm going to get into Venom in a minute. But me and my friend were there. It must be 1988 or 89, uh, mooching about the metal vinyl um, store. And the police came in to um, basically shut down the the, um, uh, the the counter that was selling condoms and try and arrest staff, if I'm not incorrect. Now, of course, this is a long, a very old memory, but um, certainly true. I remember seeing Fugazi in the early 90s and they had women dressed as nuns handing out condoms and got them into a lot of trouble. Um, yeah, it's incredible to think of Ireland now. You know, obviously many of you, if you're abroad, have been listening to this. Um, I've visited Ireland maybe and, you know, it's, it's, it's a... At one stage, didn't we have, at one stage in the Celtic Tiger, didn't we have the fastest growing economy in the world, etc., etc. I think the most expensive piece of real estate, nothing to boast about, but regardless of that, was in Dublin for a while. Yes, don't you know? Um, and, you know, Ireland grew so quickly in the sort of early to mid-90s. To remember how it was in the 80s and the 70s, um, and of course beyond that, is, is quite incredible. And yes, condoms contraceptives, prophylactics were not available for purchase in Ireland um, in the 1980s. And it was Richard Branson in the old Virgin Megastore that sort of, let's say, um, brought this to a head and he was quite willing to pay the fines. Anyway, what am I talking about? I'm supposed to be talking about venom and here I am, sideline, talking about prophylactics. Anyway, in this old Virgin Megastore in Dublin, they used to have a sale at the end of the year of vinyls and cassettes without covers. Um, usually for 50p, sometimes a pound, but mainly 50p, sometimes 25p. And we're talking here now 1986, 87, 88, 89, 87, 88 kind of thing. Um, and me and a friend um, who lived on the same road as me, who emigrated to the USA and took a bunch of my records, goddammit, and um, where's my copy of Exuma Rising from the Sea? Anyway, me and a friend used to spend hours and hours going through huge buckets and boxes um, of uh, these CDs and uh, mainly cassettes. Well, I suppose it wouldn't have been CDs yet, but mainly cassettes, some vinyls as well, which are you know, which had been um, broken or covers had been lost or ripped or they had slight water damage or things that were basically fucked up in the warehouse. Um, and you could get them for next to nothing. And we didn't have much money, you know, back then. Back then, we used to live in a shoebox at the side of the road. No, um, we used to uh, go through these huge buckets and boxes and then uh, I would draw my own covers uh, or copy the originals as faithfully as I could, um, you know, when I should have been paying attention in school. But I used to sit there and um, draw little covers for some of the albums that you would find. If you found, um, I don't know, Dark Angel, A Darkness Descends, and it didn't have the right cover, you would, you would draw one. Anyway, um, a clear indicator of the artist I was born to be. Anyway, it was about summer 1987, perhaps, and my long-suffering grandfather... Um, had been sent with me into town to buy, I think, something like new football boots. But I had brought him to the Virgin Megastore to stand by as I rooted through um, this huge, huge bucket of cassettes looking for 50 pence cassettes. And then I would, of course, annoy him for a pound so I could buy two of them or whatever. The patience of a saint the man had. Um, and um, one of those cassettes that day um, was Nightmare, the Nightmare cassette single by Venom, which, of course, I end up trying to have to draw a little cover with a sort of big, fat, ugly Kronos face. Um, you know, um, portraits were never my strong point. 
But um, the if you do have the chance of getting the cassette version of Nightmare, it has a whole it has a whole bunch of extra tracks compared to the twelve inch. Anyway, anyway, Nightmare by Venom. I found that this must have been eighty six, eighty seven, um, perhaps eighty seven. Um, and you'd find things like Exciter. I remember finding Hellstar, A Distant Thunder, Omen. All, all. I think I got four cassettes that day without covers um, for two pounds. Um, like I said, I'd graduated from ACDC to Maiden to Priest. And by the end of 86, start of 87, when I was 11 or 12 or so, was descending quickly into speed metal, hell via Megadeth, Metallica, Slayer, etc., etc., and to get four albums for two pounds back then was incredible because you listened, you listened, um, you listened to them over and over and over again incessantly, and they were just imprinted in your brain. There was nothing you could do. And I just started to buy metal magazines, and of course, in '87, to a 12 or 13 year old, um, 1983 seemed like a lifetime away. Um, you know, in '87, you're like, oh my god, 1983. But it was only four years, and now here we are, 35 years later, or whatever, um, in another century, and you realize that, you know, 1987 was closer to, you know, 1965 or 1969 than it is to now. Anyway, it seemed like a long time, and you're descending into speed metal hell. Anyway, by 1987, uh, Venom were more or less done. I guess, and the early albums got mentioned in dispatches now and again in those magazines, um, and they were not easy to find. Um, there were lots and lots of secondhand record stores in Dublin, and what you would ha- what you would get is um, whatever was the big albums that year or that week or that month. Metal was so popular, people would come in um, and sell them the next week for booze. Um, so if, let's say, 1988 and Justice for All came out, you could be guaranteed you could pick it up the next week or two secondhand, lots and lots of copies of it. But finding stuff from the early 80s was a bit more difficult. If you did find it, it was super cheap. Like it wasn't, um, you know, this is before Discogs, before people collecting records, all that kind of thing. Um, and the tides of metal had changed, you know. Um, so scenes moved fast. And by 87, thrash metal was more or less king. And Welcome to Hell was certainly not what um, young teenagers or my friend were on the move for. Um, Well, you know, except for me, I think, and maybe one or two other people. But um, it was back in those days, you, you know, it was hard to find a copy in the secondhand vinyl racks. If you did, like I said, it was really cheap. Anyway, Nightmare, Nightmare on cassette was quite a find. And little did I know it was something of an anomaly in the Venom canon. If you don't know the song Nightmare, it's kind of like their last stand. It's a great, great song. A very funny video, a very cool video. Needless to say, there's also a very cool, um, neat records, kind of like hour-long documentary thing with loads of bands, Avenger and stuff, and Venom are in And it's just so northern low budget lo-fi like unintentionally hilarious it's amazing i think saracen are on it as well and um, but it has kind of parts of the making of the video of nightmare on it the lads showing up in different limos and horses and all sorts of amazing amazing stuff um but it was kind of like venom's last stand after the album possessed which i'll go on to talk about but is not a great record in my opinion but nightmare um was supposed to be, I think, the precursor to the album in 87, Deadline, which never came out. I think there was a couple of songs um, um, on that, on the In Memoriam um, compilation that came out in the early 90s, um, Dead Love, and I think, um, and the song uh, Nothing Sacred, I think. I might be mistaken in that. Anyway, Venom, um, what am I talking about? Yes. 
Nightmare. Nightmare um, on cassette is quite was quite a find. And like I said, I didn't really realize that it was their last stand, so to speak. And to say I wore out that cassette would be an understatement. Even the answer phone message somehow seemed engaging. I don't know if you've ever heard this. It's hilarious. It's only, I think, on the cassette. But the last 10 minutes is these two guys ringing up Neat Records going, um, Venom has cancelled a show. Venzel, Venom has cancelled a show down in Newcastle. They can't. I'll, I'll bloody kill myself. And then beep. And then it comes back again. Venom, we're pleading with you. We're pleading with you. You can't cancel the show. And this goes on and on and on. It's fucking hilarious. Anyway, um, that cassette was what started a sort of utter and consuming love affair between Venom and myself. Um, and, you know, without sounding like um, a sort of a dickhead. Um, oh, well, I'm surely that's the premise of the entire podcast, is it not? Um, my peers, many of my peers were sort of waiting for like the new order or uh, Justice for All or, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, don't get me wrong, I bought those records as well. But I was kind of busy going around all the secondhand shops, scouring the bins for old Venom records, trying to go back to 1980, 81, 82 and collect the things that by and large had been sort of forgotten by um, by 88, 89 and 90. And that was until black metal came along in the early 90s and kind of kicked people back into Merciful Fate, Bathory and Venom and Celtic Frost and stuff. But, you know, I remember um, going into a record shop in the Abbey Mall. I think it was DTK or JTK Records, Razor Cuts it used to be called for anybody who's old enough who's listening um, from that Dublin also. And um, you would go in and there'd be like throngs and throngs of people hanging out, waiting for whatever was the new, you know, was south of heaven. But quietly on the wall in the corner of one shop, just, uh, you know, they just opened briefly. Um, Emperor's Return, picture disc, three pounds. Um, you know, people just weren't really interested in what had happened in 83, 80, 45. It just seemed so old fashioned. And by 1990, when Death Metal came along in 89, Autopsy, Morbid Angel, Obituary, Death, it just consumed everything. And even though the link between Obituary and Slowly Rot and Celtic Frost is so clear and so obvious. Um, so many people were just moving towards death metal that, you know, you could pick up Celtic Frost and Hellhammer Records for like next to nothing. Anyway, um, like I said, this nightmare cassette started off this kind of love affair between me and Venom. And very often you would find albums that had been, like, um, like I said, just been released um, you could find them secondhand that just been released the following and they would be available the following week as they sold so many copies back in the day that um, the percentage game would bear fruit and certain copies would show up for half the price one week later. It was at this time my burgeoning Venom obsession was nearly derailed uh, and I'll, I'm sure some of you have had this um, the dilemma, you know, um, Pascal's wager or whatever it is, damned if you do, damned if you don't. Um, but I'm standing in some old vinyl shop, which isn't there anymore. In fact, it's in what is now Temple Bar. If you've ever been to you've probably sauntered through Temple Bar. Well, Temple Bar used to be a shithole in the 80s. It was mainly derelict buildings, a few record stores. It's where people went to buy fucking heroin. Uh, there was a few rehearsal rooms. There was, you know, it was pretty grim and pretty shitty. And most of the shops were just completely fucking shut. And you wouldn't know that now. But um, yeah, it used to be where I used to go and buy some secondhand records. And I'm standing in the record store and I've got... Welcome to hell in one hand and calm before the storm in the other. Um, looking at them, it's 1987. And of course, you're drawn to welcome to hell, fucking pentagram on the cover, axes on the back. We drink the vomit of the priests, etc. It's like every part of me is like, oh, this is the one. Um, but then my other 
part of me is going, well, Camphorter Storm is the newest one. That probably means it's the heaviest one. It's the best one, right? Um, but Axis. And I made a fucking stupid decision. I went with Cam before the storm. Um, and uh, I suppose it was logical for the age you are, but I went with Cam before the storm. And it just happened to be that it was that Saturday that I bought Cam before the storm, brought it home, stared at the vinyl, kind of went, hmm, okay. And then on Monday went into school and someone gave me a cassette with Pleasure to Kill and Obsessed by Cruelty on it. Um, and I, I played that when I went home and it just sort of blew my mind. And I stared at Cam Before the Storm going round and round on my t- turntable with indignation. And I thought, this can't be really, you know, um, you know, I'd had a couple of things by Venom, but um, in fact, it must be early 87. I can't remember exactly the year, but I saved up my two or three pounds, whatever it was. And next Saturday went into town and bought that bloody copy of Welcome to Hell and brought it home and went, ah, okay, now I fucking get it. Because um, at this time there was a cable show um, called uh, Monsters of Rock, Sky Monsters of Rock with Mick Wall. And um, I used to watch this in my grandparents' house um, as my grandfather had brought back a satellite um, thing or whatever you want to call it because um, from the USA um, some sort of cheap satellite disc and we were able to get my um, MTV in like 1983-84 which is kind of really strange when I think about it culturally but yeah every Saturday they used to show Sky Monsters of Rock and I used to tape all the songs and you saw Slayer Hallowates from the Ultimate Revenge Venom from the Seven Gates of Hell they used to show these things and so I knew Venom like you know Seven Gates of Hell and a whole bunch of you know Witching Hour and stuff but it wasn't until I actually bought Welcome to Hell and brought it home and went, ah, okay. And then you do realize in the grand timeline of things, you're six, seven years too late. But um, me and my friend used to hold up a little um, computer tape recorder up to the speaker of the TV and turn the TV up and try and catch songs that we didn't know. Um, like I said, Seven Gates of Hell from Hammersmith came on one Saturday with the curtains drawn. And this was not calm before the storm. This was what I was expecting. Still probably my favorite Venom track, Seven Gates of Hell, despite what I wrote, wrote uh, elsewhere. But what am I talking about? I'm uh, beginning to spin my own grey matter out talking about Venom. But that little cassette of Nightmare was what sort of set me on the path. For the record, the title track of Come Before the Storm is fucking awesome. And, and, and Promodio played a gig with Venom about 12 years ago and they played Come Before the Storm and it was really, really cool. Um... It's, but you know, you're, you want heavier, nastier, nastier, faster stuff, you know, when you're a prepubescent young man raging with hormones. Um, so I saved up some more 50p's. I think my allowance back then was like two old Irish pounds. And what we used to do was um, get up for school a tiny bit earlier and get off the bus to school three stops earlier so you could save 20 or 30p um, at the end of the week. And you were mowing some lawns, you know, painting some walls or whatever. So you had one or two extra pounds on a Saturday when you went into town. And that could be the difference of buying through three um, vinyls or seven inches or cassettes if you were really, really motivated to get up early and go around all of the secondhand shops. Um, like I said, thankfully, one week later, sitting at the back of a box in a dingy vinyl shop in Temple Bar, um, you know, where all the theme pubs will tell you they've existed since 1778, 1778 or whatever, uh, was a place called Comet Records. And I bought Welcome to Hell for £2.95 second hand. And this was the eureka moment when the needle hit the vinyl. It all became clear. Um, anyway, what am I talking about? I'm talking about being a young fella 
saving money and trying to buy Welcome to Hell. For the record, I should also give a shout out to um, a podcast. I think it's called, I'll put a link to it up, but it's called Louder Faster, the story of neat records. Um, put on to me by Joe from That Gamma Bomb, um, who I do the Metal Salvage chats on YouTube with. If you want to go over to my YouTube channel where me and him get pissed and just talk about heavy metal. But um, it's a brilliant podcast done by the guy who was the voice of the Hot and Heavy Express, which was, I guess, a radio show in the Northeast back in the late 70s, early 80s that used to play all this kind of stuff. But it tells the story of Neat Records, Venom's uh, record label. Um, really, really brilliant podcast. And the guy has a great voice on him. Um, really, really, I'm not going to try and recreate it, but a really great voice. But a total shout out to that podcast. It's one of the best um, sort of retro metal podcasts that there is. But anyway, but anyway, freaking so wild, nobody's mild, giving it all that you got, wireless so right, metal tonight, faster than over the top, open the door, enter hell's core, black is the code for tonight, atomic force, feel no remorse, crank up the amps now, it's night, some brilliant poetry there, brilliant, brilliant poetry. So let's go through the Venom discography and have a bit of a chat about each Record, um, I suppose you could call it a kind of a call from the grave, if that makes any sense. Um, maybe not. Um, but let's have a look. Venom, the prime movers, the progenitors, the face that launched a thousand ships. Like I said, without the band without whom um, things would be very, very different. Because at the time in the late 70s, I mean, if you listen to Judas Priest in 1977 and Stained Classes, like it's very twin harmony. Not much distortion on the guitars, very Lizzie Priest, etc. And then the huge change comes with British Steel. The first time we get gunk, 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 the sort of damping, almost palm muting and um, thrash power chord riffs of um, Grinder, of Rapid Fire. This kind of changed everything British Steel. It was a kind of different way to play heavy metal, despite songs like Breaking the Law on it and stuff. But if you listen to, um, you know, especially something like Grinder, you can hear. This is the kind of precursor to thrash metal that changed the riffing style, in my opinion. But Venom was just like nothing else at, the, at all at the time. In League with Satan, Live Like an Angel, 7-inch is just like um, super primitive. It had some of the kind of primitivism of some punk, although I think that's really, really overplayed because what's obvious is that Venom are just long-haired, scraggy, northeastern metalheads. And I think that the punk scene tries to sort of claim Venom for its own and Kronos sort of leans into it in the last 10 or 20 years. But it's clear these are, um, you know, bell-bottom wearing, long hair, um, as I said, axe-wielding, bullet belt wearing, um, late 70s, early 80s, new average of British heavy metal guys who can't play very well. But, you know, um, Kronos or Conrad Lant is working at night in the studio that all the neat records bands and manages to get Venom in there to record a demo on a debut album. And it's, you know, done for a couple of hours or whatever. But it's when Sons of Satan rushes in out of the gate, once you put the needle on Welcome to Hell, it's like a brick to the head. It's nothing really has been that brutal. And like I said, the punk scene kind of claimed it for its own, but I think that that's untrue. It's most definitely metal, and it's most definitely New Wave British Heavy Metal. It's just really rough, really raw, like a fucking brick to the head, as I said. And without it, you wouldn't get Show No Mercy. You wouldn't get Slayer. In fact, in a way, you know, Show No Mercy is more like Judas Priest on meth or more, a bit more Maiden and stuff. Obviously, the more accomplished musicians and Venom were even that at that stage. But Venom is the thing that inspires them all to ditch 
the um you know the kind of red and white spandex thing and the stripy shirts and everything and you know get, sell their souls to satan um and they're the band without whom nothing else would be the same um and they're just three yi geordie lads from newcastle that's the best i can do who um you know I thought never played a gig before the third album came out, but a friend of mine, um, shout out to Dennis, has been sending me some bootlegs of Venom from 82. So it seems like that was part of their own mythology by saying, we never played a gig until we came and headlined Hammersmith Odeon. But they did. But one thing is for sure, that they weren't um, they weren't working a club scene, you know, supporting Angel Witch or Maiden. Maiden were travelling up and down the UK in this green goddess in their van playing like 50... 40, 50 shows um, every couple of months, um, you know, to pogoing kids in like a local local student disco. And Venom weren't doing that. It seems to me, listening to the podcast, that um, you could get gigs if you were covers bands or very big bands played very big calls, but local bands were expected to play covers. The idea that you would come along in 80 and play, oh, right, you're playing your own songs. Um, this was just not something that happened. It's not something that happened until bands started playing different student unions in the early 80s. And I think that was, you could give credit to punk rock. And in America, especially early 80s, hardcore. I was only talking about that last night. As I said, Minneapolis hardcore, really worth a watch about Husker Du and Black Flag and how they created that um, kind of touring scene. Anyway, I digress, as of course I... Uh, always do but the in league with satan live like an angel seven inch just dropped in 80 more or less out of nowhere and the world i think was never quite the same and um, welcome to hell for me full marks was the very literal bombshell year zero nothing had ever been like it the more aggro d-beat punk of discharge just around the corner um but it certainly had elements of um it's got of course new it is newer british heavy metal but it's so damn caustic and violent in comparison Pick up a compilation back in the day of New Way British Heavy Metal and you'll be surprised um, that even though, you know, we have this kind of, you know, rose-tinted um, view of the past, so much of it is just like status quo, um, C Division, Saxon, sort of boogie rock, you know, but Sons of Satan, like I said, hits like a four by three. Is that right? Three by four, four by four, whatever it is, to the back of the head. I mean, a big stick. Um, crude, violent and explicit. And there's no punk social conscience to we drink the vomit of the priests on the back sleeve. Classic Satan's claw poses and a fucking axe, if I didn't mention it before. But for the first time, metal was truly violent, uh, filthy and satanic. Um, like a bloody clenched fist in a bar fight. Um, you know, imagine like um, Lemmy chopped out a line, rolled a note, handed it to Kronos Mantis and Abaddon. I mean, it's... It's obviously got a huge, it's got a huge debt to Motorhead, of course, because they were the only band really, you know, cranking up the fucking, you know, Iron Fist is just around about then, Ace of Spades, etc. Um, and they are a huge influence uh, over the whole thing. The only band that really kind of brought, I suppose, punks and metalheads together was Motorhead. Black Metal, again, full marks. Listen, um, if you don't know this, what do you want? Uh, 1982, uh, Leave the Hall, etc., etc., um, you know, I have that Venom um, in my head that Venom hadn't played live, but they had. But um, they sound rehearsed, tight, much more dynamic than on Welcome to Hell. The tones are a strong game. Abaddon is even in the pocket. The bass roars, lay down your soul to the gods rock and roll. I mean, sure, it became a trendy thing for, um, as I said, Oslo Files, is that what you would say? And Black Packers 
who were just um, completely enthralled to everything that happened in Norway without realising that those people up there thought the same thing as me, but that um, black metal is black metal. And that states it's kind of self-evident by the name of the album. Um, sure, it's also got rock and roll, but that's it. This is where it all begins. Ulrich, Hetfield, Mustaine, Hanman, um, all just struck by the lightning of black metal. And one of the greatest things about Old Venom is that all their singles were non-album tracks. All of them are, and all of them are absolute bangers. Die Hard, Acid Queen, um, being rarely matched in terms of like amphetamine under the fingernails, hell for leather. I mean, what Midnight are doing now, it can be directly channeled back to Acid Queen, Die Hard style Venom. And even in 83, Venom is still more brutal, a more uh, caustic, a more filthy, if you ask me. Um, Manitou, the massive seven gates of hell. There, there's so many of them. It gives me goosebumps even just thinking of them after all these years. Therefore, the singles 80 to 86 um, which I would also give full marks. This is the best compilation of all the singles, despite not having the essential nightmare. I guess that's because it's um, came out at the end of 86, maybe, or it wasn't released just yet. Um, what you will find is that Venom um, must have signed um, or not signed some sloppy contracts, as there are so many compilations, Canadian Assault, US Assault, French Assault, Japanese Assault, etc., uh, Scandinavian Assault. I have most of them, but not all of them. The ones that were in the back in the 80s, really hard to find, were Scandinavian and Japanese Assault. Um, and I didn't want to buy the new bootleg versions of them. Um, collecting them all, kind of impossible. Somebody even made a bootleg Irish Assault one. And, um, you know, don't get... Well, I wouldn't get too caught up in trying to buy modern bootlegs of them. But Canadian Assault and American Assault, I think, are the pick of the bunch for me. Um, you need to do some grave digging on that. Um, then... A War with Satan is a really strange record. Um, I still give it full marks, but um, it's not Welcome to Hell and it's not Black Metal. Um, it's kind of where the wheels, you can see, start to come off a little bit. It has flaws. The production is... Um, it's. I love the production, but it's a misstep considering the bands that are nipping at their heels, the Slayers and the Metallicas. The bands sound less rehearsed and sort of more unfocused than on Black Metal. I mean, who cares now? But back then... I think this was kind of a foreshadowing um, of what was going to happen to them as they began to be outstripped by the bands that they inspired in only just one or two years. A War with Satan, um, I love it. It's a great record. Um, you know, um, Stand Up and Be Counted, Women, Leather and Hell and the crazy rambling title track which just has some amazing uh, riffs in it and one of the greatest opening riffs and intro uh, intro kind of speeches, sound effects kind of things. It's, you know, it's an iconic looking record. I used to have the Burning Cross inside it on my wall when I was growing up when I was a teenager, the vinyl um, nailed to the wall, um, that kind of stuff. It's, it's an, again, just super iconic. And those early album covers, you know, they were probably designed by some somebody just, um, you know, at an old school desk, cutting out bits and pieces. But they're all so iconic. All the artwork is so iconic. I did an interview once with Kronos and asked him about what it was like to have elements of Venom become pop cultural icon. Now, he didn't understand what I meant. I think he thought I meant pop music. He kept going, oh, I don't know anything about E17 and stuff, man. And I was going, no, no, no. Like, it's almost Warhol-esque the cover of black metal. It's the kind of thing you see um, on dresses and catwalks. People have appropriated the uh, Venom iconography. He goes, oh, well, I don't know about Britney Spears, man. And I was going, no, no, that's not what I mean. I never quite got my point across to Kronos. But however, um, all those album covers are so incredibly iconic. But younger, faster pretenders to the throne who are now kind of like touring, um, uh, you know, and, and getting that right hand faster and faster. Um, we're starting to steal the spotlight. And um, so Venom, 
um, did what they, you know, they did what they had to do and started to play more, a few more shows. Metallica supported, Exodus supported, Slayer supported. It's like as if somebody went, you know what we're going to do? We're going to throw the three hungriest bands <laughs> onto the support slot to, um, you know, try and fucking expose, um, you know, the, the, the creaking Venom machine, so to say. Venom certainly didn't go uh, for a soft touch, as many bands did. Many big bands would always pick a support band who weren't going to challenge them. Venom certainly didn't do that. Um, I mean, there's even, if you listen to the Henry Rollins get in the van, you know, he talks about Black Flag supporting Venom, which is quite incredible. Um, and it's pretty funny, actually. Uh, but anyway, Venom weren't road dogs, so to speak. They hadn't sharpened their teeth in the clubs. So most people's first exposure to Venom was past their commercial peak live and they were supported by rabid and electric younger bands. Um, At War With Satan is the last great Venom record. Possessed. Um, I don't know, what would we give it? Six out of ten, seven out of ten? It's a, it's a really puzzling record. Um, as in, the band knew there was not only the Metallicas and Slayers of this world, but now there's Possessed and Bathory, Megadeth, Razor, etc. All kind of outstripping them for speed and tone. Um, it might be not Razor yet, but... Um, just a name that popped into my head, but you would think that they would try and make the production on Possessed um, their, you know, their fist in the face, their riposte to all of this. Instead, it's a weird, empty shell of a record that barely sounds engineered at all. Um, it's Venom. Sure, it's Fast and Loose. Satanicist is a great song, amongst a few others, Too Loud for the Crowd. Um, but it's... This was the moment to, you know, make a statement. And despite a few bangers, it's sort of hollow and lacking in punch. Um, the clever thing would have been to rope in some new um, up-and-coming engineer to breed some depth into the sound. Even the cover artwork looks thrown together after long nights staring in the mirror. Um, Nightmare is the last, you know, stone-cold classic single, as I talked about at the top of the podcast, um, and waffled about at the top. And it's the last incredible thing I think the band would ever make. It possessed... Um, had been up to that standard, standard of Nightmare would have been salvageable, but this marks the end of the classic lineup. Um, by all accounts, there is an unreleased album um, recorded just before they dissolved in, in, a, in bitterness um, and anger, and it's called Deadline. Like I said, Love, Love Amongst the Dead, the song, surfaces on the Immemorium compilation 1981. Sounds great, but no one still really, um, 1991, but still no one has heard this record. It still remains, I think, unreleased. Somebody should really get on that. Um, so Kronos inherits the name in 87. Uh, Come Before the Storm sees Mantas replaced by two young guitar players, sort of American style. Mike Hickey, who later joined Carcass among them for one album. Sound is more melodic, more hard rock. Gone are the days of sniping at Slayer in fairness. Come Before the Storm, it has a few gems, like I said before, the title track, Under, the Sp- Under Her Spell, Under The Spell is good. Chanting of the Priests. But then you've got some awful songs like Black Xmas, Metal Punk and White Muscle which is really bad, leave you scratching your head. There's no doubt um, a strong album somewhere between Cam and the unreleased deadline, but Foresight seems to have been thin on the old ground. What happens then? What happens then? Exit Kronos, Mantis returns and we get Primeval. Um, this is a big return to some kind of form. Tony Dolan from Adam Craft and Mantis, solo band who made a really awful record called Winds of Change, but steps in on vocals and a, a decent fist at some top-notch songs. This is a really good album, Primeval, if you can find it. And for me, it's better than Possessed, definitely. It's in the top four or five um, Venom records. Um, at the time, you know, I think no one really cared about it because everything was about Altars of Madness. 
but it's still one of my favorite favorite albums. It's got tone, it's got sound, it's got a badness back there, it's got some balls back in the sack, so to speak. Underrated and definitely worth tracking down. It's around this time that Kronos <laughs> that Kronos is announced to play in Dublin for his solo album, uh, Dancing in the Fire. And um, shortly after this gets cancelled for poor ticket sales, apparently I was one of only about a dozen people who bought tickets, according to the people down in the sound cellar of the time. And I think this kind of tells you where the legacy of Venom was in the 1990s as death metal ruled the roost. I've hit 40 minutes now talking about Venom. Should we push for the end or should we leave a part two? Let's push for the end. Let's push for the end and go through the rest of these records. Temples of Ice uh, just sort of dropped a little fanfare and continues where Primeval left off. It's quite a hard record to track down now, Temples of Ice. Um, solid heavy metal, nothing more. Um, but, you know, where does this version of Venom fit alongside Morbid Angel, Death or Deicide? Or do they even have to? But mainstream, straightforward, old heavy metal is about to get a trouncing come 91, 92. Um, I'm not sure anyone is really interested. Um, the compilation In Memoriam comes out late 91, I think 92 even, and reintroduces many people to the legacy of the band. And then, of course, black metal happens, Burzum, Dark Throne, and they're all wearing Venom black metal shirts. And this sort of, you know, re-shines a spotlight back onto Venom. Um, you know, the In Memoriam is great, full of old classic images and killer liner notes and all this kind of stuff. Uh, and you get the feeling this is the first wheel in motion to the reunion. But before that, The Wastelands, 1992. Uh, this is a weird record. It, it's, um, it arrived with the Primeval lineup to even less of a fanfare. Barely a whimper even. It looks like a cheap computer game. Really weird looking record with a sort of sideways logo in red and a kind of weird face. Um, it inspires little confidence and returning to it now, you can hear the band were trying to sort of grasp the thorn of thrash metal and push the needle to somewhere more extreme. But it feels like they're unsure of their footing. Um, perhaps they, you know, should have leaned more heavily into their own iconography rather than opting for a typeset logo. And then, then what happens? The classic lineup reform and headline, headline Dynamo Festival in 97 to roughly 100,000 people. Um, there's a video of this and like there's some crazy shit going on in the first song which looks like the backdrop doesn't fall the right side of the band and onto the drums. Um, crazy, but no, almost 100,000 people. Um, I think, maybe it's Dynamo 96 actually because I think we went to the first one in 97 or 98. No, actually, I don't know. But we were one year too late. We wanted to go and see Venom but um, we weren't able to get there. However, and the old animosity is there, but they bury the hatchet long enough to make cast in stone. And the evil one is a banger and MTV plays the hell out of it. And finally, an album that actually almost fixes the misstep after Possessed. Uh, cast in Stone's a pretty good record. No attempt at being death metal or modern. Um, despite looking cheap and nasty, again, why you wouldn't put your classic logo on a record it makes no sense to me. Um, it's a pretty good bloody record. Um, cast in Stone, if you want to try and find it. So... Now we exit Abaddon and in 2000 we get one of the most perplexing and underrated albums, uh, Resurrection. I'm sure it's overlong and a bit laboured, but tell me the opener, dun 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 doesn't sound like some ale um, at their pump. You certainly got something darker. Um, I think it's, uh, you know, more modern to its armory. It's quite a heavy record. It divided opinion at the time. Um, it's not evil like Live Like an Angel and it's not rock and roll sounding. But, you know, in truth, this is the last Van Elm album that I kind of like. And then, okay, let's condense the last 
however long you've got a whole bunch of Venom records that are kind of interchangeable. You've got Venom Inc., um, you know, all sort of jumping the shark a bit, as my mate Joe from Gambon would said. But, you know, Exit Mantis, Kronos inherits the name. And, you know, you can look into the last couple of records if you want. Solid, unspectacular. Um, you might get a mini banger here and there, backed up with awkward, embarrassing sort of uncle uh, um, at the at the wedding type lyrics and a bit of some mawkish sentimentality. But they have their moments. Um, it's a curious and unexpected history full of twists and turns, rock and roll, megalomania and internal conflicts. But no matter how you tell the story, no matter how you tell the story, Venom are ground zero for more or less everything we listen to today. Um, black metal, death metal, Slayer, Metallica, blah, blah, blah. Without them, nothing would be the same, and that's the truth. Um, three lads from Newcastle unwittingly started a musical revolution with the League with Satan, and for that, we must give them praise. Agitators Anonymous episode 128 is my highly caffeinated manic rush through um, a lifetime's um, a lifetime serving of venom. Um, my friends, my friends, it's better to reign in hell than serve in heaven and all that kind of thing. Live like an angel, die like a devil. Agitators Anonymous this time around is just a random chat about heavy metal. All right, my friends, over and out.